Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. Today, I'm excited to talk with Jake Eman. Jake is a freelance drinks, food, and travel journalist whose work has been published in outlets including Afar, Barron's, Cundiness Traveler, Departures, Eater, Food and Wine, GQ, Maxim, Men's Health, USA Today, Whiskey Advocate, Wine Enthusiast, and a wide range of others. He served as a judge for several international spirits and cocktail competitions and has visited over 130 distilleries across 30 countries and six continents. Hi, Jake. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Angela, how you doing? Great. I'm really excited. Um, you must first tell everyone where you are right now. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Yeah, uh, calling you from uh, French Polynesia right now. Uh, it's wow. a place I've long wanted to, to come to, and it's my first time visiting here. And I'm on the island of Tahiti as we speak, and uh, it's a beautiful day. How, that is wonderful. How long are you staying? Uh, so unfortunately, my trip comes to an end tomorrow evening, but I've been here for about two weeks hopping around the, the island. So it's been a nice day and, and I've really enjoyed my time. I bet. What are some of your best tips for travelers who want to visit there? The most important thing, I think, is that you really have to keep in mind each of the islands has its own personality. Uh, okay. You know, we kind of conjure up the idea of Bora Bora. I think that's what most of us, uh, you know, think all of the Polynesian islands are. And, yes. you know, that's amazing. I love the overwater bungalow life. Uh, you know, that's totally up my alley. Um, but, you know, for example, on Rayatea, uh, there is no resorts. Uh, if you stay there, it's only going to be Airbnbs or homestays, guest stays, that kind of thing. Yeah, then you have the island of Tahiti, uh, which is the main population center. It has the capital Papiti on it. Uh, so if you stay there, you know, you have access to more of the, the actual main town itself, the restaurants, the bars, the shops, that kind of thing. So, yeah, all the islands really have their own uh, take on uh, Polynesian life. And, you know, it's just about matching what uh, what the experience you want to have might be. Yeah. Do you think you have a favorite? Like I said, you know, it's hard to argue with the uh, overwater bungalow <laughs> life. I, I am totally a sucker uh, for an amazing luxury hotel, so I will admit that. Uh, but that said, I also really enjoyed my time on Morea as well, mm. uh, which I believe is either the second or third most populous of the islands. Uh, only one or two major resorts. And besides that, again, it's the villas, it's the rentals. Uh, and it's a really great uh, slice of culture over there. I bet. Where are you going next? Uh, so uh, very conveniently, uh, I hopped straight from Tahiti to Turkey uh, in two oh. days, which is, you know, not a direct flight, uh, as you might uh, imagine. Um, but I'll spend a couple of weeks in Turkey visiting Istanbul and then down to uh, Bodrum and Cappadocia. Wow. So for those who don't know, you are a full-time nomad, so no fixed yes, residence. Exactly. How long have you done that? How's it been? Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I made the leap at the start of 2022. Uh, I figured enough things were reopening that I could kind of get out there and start stringing some things together. Um, originally, I wanted to do it at the start of 2020. I made up my mind to do it at the end of uh, February 2020. Uh, you know, got rid of my residence in San Diego, started to sell my furniture. Uh, so I, I was I was committed to doing it. And obviously, uh, the pandemic set in about a week or two later. Uh, so that's pretty bad timing, unfortunately. Um yes. 
Yeah, so that, that was too bad. But, you know, knock on wood, uh, you know, came out the other side of the pandemic, obviously, not that we're done with it. But, you know, at the stage that we are now where things are starting to reopen. And, uh, you know, again, I decided that uh, it was time to give it a try. So it's been uh, almost six months so far. And, and I absolutely love it. What have you learned um, that was maybe different than what you thought? Well, you know, it's really, there's a ton of planning and logistics to it. Uh, you know, whenever I get to one destination, I'm thinking about where I'm going next and how I'm getting there and yeah. how long I'll be there, when I'll be there for, what I'm doing, why I'm going, uh, what I might write about or research while I'm there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, somewhat of a grind, uh, but once you get into yeah. that mindset and you have that momentum kind of building, it, it's, you know, pretty easy to maintain. And, uh, you know, big picture, I'd like to slow down a little bit from what I've been doing, uh, you know, spend one or two months in a destination uh, and kind of, you know, be a little bit more relaxed than what I've been uh, so far this year, which is kind of hopping around one place after another. Yeah, that's a lot. I was thinking, you know, that the the whole trend of slow travel might might be a little bit better. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I can't imagine. I feel like you're you can't enjoy as much where you're at when you're trying to plan the next one. It's tricky. It's all about, you know, maximizing your time. And, you know, as a writer, a good deal of my time is typically just procrastination anyway. Um, <laughs> so if I kind of, uh, you know, get my procrastination done on, say, the beach of Tahiti, as opposed to in front of my laptop, uh, there you know, you go. In, yeah. So, you know, that's how you kind of make the most of your time and, and ensure that you enjoy the destination too. But certainly, you know, uh, so far the way it's not been uh, you know, the way a tourist would, would travel around typically, that's for sure. Yeah. How long do you think you'll do it for? At least a couple of years now that I'm going. So, uh, in my head, I'm committed to at least a year or two and and then we'll see from there. That's great. So you write about drinks, food and travel. What topic do you prefer? Just the blend of the three? Yeah, you know, a blend of the three is always great. And those things are always interconnected. You know, I feel like yeah. drinks and food are a great way to explore, uh, you know, somebody's culture and, and learn something about those people. But that being said, uh, whiskey uh, is kind of my first love, journalistically speaking. That's how I got okay. into the uh, industry. And uh, so, you know, whenever I'm visiting, you know, world-class whiskey distillery and diving into all the geeky details about how they make their whiskey and why it tastes a certain way and what their history is. That's, that's really when I'm most in my wheelhouse, I would say. So how did you get into it? How did whiskey help? Uh, well, you know, uh, whiskey was just something uh, my father taught me an appreciation of, you know, he always had some single malts around the house and he was not a heavy drinker at all. It would be, uh, you know, a special occasion uh, glass of whiskey one at a time kind of thing. Sure. Uh, but he always taught me uh, an appreciation for that. And and as I uh, came of age and matured, you know, whiskey was something I turned to as well. And uh, literally one day, uh, a buddy of mine suggested uh, like, hey, Jake, uh, you, you drink a lot of whiskey and, you, and you're a writer. Why don't you write about whiskey? And, and literally that, uh, that quick conversation kind of uh, put my career on a whole new path. Really? So what was it before that? You said you were a writer, but... Yeah, so I was actually doing sports writing before that, primarily boxing. Uh, so big boxing fan. Uh, and at the time, it was my my dream job. I was covering fights in New York and Atlantic City, uh, sitting ringside, doing all these things, interviewing, you know, major fighters. Uh, so that was absolutely the, the dream for me. And then, uh, you know, the perks that, you know, come with uh, the travel and whiskey uh, side of things were, were kind of just too good to ignore. Um, so, yeah, I pivoted. Uh, I tried to do both for a while and then eventually, uh, you know, went full time into food, drinks, travel. Yeah. So have you had, has it, um, I don't want to say easy. Have you had a hard time <laughs> at all um, placing all of your stories as you're traveling? 
Uh, while I'm traveling, no, thankfully, uh, you know, I, I have good relationships with a number of editors. Uh, and, you know, it, it's all about building those relationships and, and working with somebody that, you know, both of you can trust each other. And, uh, you know, it's the same between uh, journalists and the PR side as well. It's about relationships, I think. Yes, yes. What are some of your favorite recent stories? Oh, wow. Uh, let's mm -hmm. see. So I recently just did a story for VinePair, which I found very, very interesting. It was uh, about the ways that big technology, big tech companies and artificial intelligence are starting to enter the alcohol space. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, lots of positive sides of that, you know, climate change, fighting AI systems to help wineries, you know, stay ahead of the, uh, the curve in terms of changing weather systems and climate systems. Uh, so that's great. And then, you know, there's kind of the, the interesting side of things, which is, you know, robot bartenders decide to, uh, you know, make your drinks in five seconds and tell you a funny joke as they do it. So, you know, there, there's there's both sides to the technology equation. So I found that interesting. That was a fun one to report. Um, another piece I actually did for VinePair recently was reporting on uh, the first modern uh, peated Irish whiskey to actually be made uh, with Irish ingredients. So Irish grown barley and then smoked by Irish peat. Um, so Waterford, first? first time anybody since the downturn of the industry, basically since prohibition has done that in mm -hmm. Ireland. Uh, so Waterford Distillery, they're the first ones to do it. Um, there are other peated Irish whiskeys, uh, but they're not being made with uh, those Irish ingredients and processes. Uh, so I believe I was the first one uh, to report on that story. So that was fun to get that out there as well. Yeah. How do you typically find your stories? Uh, you know, that is a mix of, you know, proper tips and relationships, but also a bit of a discerning eye, you know, like uh, to be entirely honest, the story somebody tells me uh, I'm going to find is often not the story I end up finding and right. uh, reporting on. And, you know, that's what it's all about. And uh, but that initial tip or that initial uh, idea might come from, you know, the PR side. I, I might, uh, you know, get an invitation to visit a distillery in Ireland, but then have no clue uh, what I'm going to find once I'm there. And what I find exciting in this case, for example, the first modern uh, peated Irish whiskey uh, might not be the initial idea uh, they wanted to to talk about. So it's combining, you know, tips and then just having a bit of a discerning eye and, and figuring out what's uh, most relevant and interesting to you and might be for your readers as well. Yeah. And I think, and I love that. I think, you know, most PR professionals, whatever the story is, it still brings awareness, you know, what, whatever totally. you're, the audience for the publication would find interesting is what you know. And sure. um, yeah, we love that. And speaking of working with public relations professionals, you know, how yeah. can we best help you do your job? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the publicists and PR professionals I enjoy working with the most are the ones who uh, really personalize their pitches, their ideas uh, for me. Uh, yeah. So, you know, try to make it relevant for me, what I cover specifically, uh, the, uh, the outlets I work with. Uh, you know, the more generic and mass email the idea is just, you know, to be honest, the less likely that is uh, to, to break through with me. So, you know, and then the other thing from there is really uh, to help me, uh, you know, do my job, make it as easy as possible. And I was just talking about relationships a minute ago. As a freelance journalist, uh, one of my jobs 
is to make my editor's job as easy as possible. I want my editor to never think for a second or hesitate about assigning a story to me because he or she knows I'll turn it in on time. It'll be uh, in the the publication style and it'll you know hit all the check marks of what they're looking for. So that's really what I want to do as a freelance journalist. And then on the PR side, for me, I think it's the same thing. If you can help me meet my deadlines, uh, get me the answers or information or photos or facts I might need by the date I need them, you know, the easier you are to work with in that sense, the more I'm going to turn to you as a, a trusted resource and somebody I want to continue working with. Yes. And I think I know the answer to this next question because you have it as a pinned tweet, but um, yes. what is, what are your professional pet peeves? Yeah. You know, that pinned tweet, uh, that's funny. Uh, I got a lot of traction in the, the Twitter journalist world. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, talking about just, you know, I, and I totally understand it, uh, but it's the story check-in uh, from a PR professional. It might be, you know, hey, Jake, uh, what's the story coming in? Do you know when it might run? When's it going to run? Uh, and, you know, as a freelancer, I just don't know. We don't know. Uh, you know, that's happening on the editorial side, and we have no insight to that, unfortunately. Um, so I always know that question is coming, and I know on your end, you know, you got to make your clients happy, and you have your own goals and targets to hit. So totally, I respect that side of it, and it's not meant as a dig uh, to anybody on your side of the fence. It's just as a freelancer, it's just I, we we never know. We're, we're more in the dark than anybody as freelancers. Right. You love when you hear someone was like, I just saw your story. Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So what stories are you working on currently? So currently, uh, well, researching several different stories while I'm here in Tahiti. And uh, again, the stories you find versus what you think you might find. Uh, so I happen to find several rum distilleries out here in Tahiti. So I'll be excited okay. to, to report on those and, and tell people about those. And uh, I was just in Scotland right before this. And I was visiting Ardbeg Distillery on the island of Isla uh, for Ardbeg Day, which is a huge festival and attracts thousands of whiskey drinkers and fans. Uh, and it's kind of a madhouse. Um, but yeah, so I have a couple of stories coming from that reporting on the distillery and what it's like to kind of be there on the ground for this uh, internationally renowned uh, whiskey festival. So cool. How are you choosing where to go next? Are you having hosted trips or how is that working? Sure. It's a combination of hosted trips and, and me just doing my own thing. And, you know, I certainly don't always want to be hosted. I want time to explore a destination the way uh, I personally would like to, not just the way somebody builds an itinerary for me. Uh, so it's it's very important for me to, to get my own time to travel somewhere. But yeah, besides that, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, just build my schedule out in advance and slot in some big trips. And for example, this uh, French Polynesia trip uh, to Tahiti and the other islands, that was kind of on the calendar uh, for a couple of months. And I was looking forward to that. And then kind of Scotland got slammed in right beforehand, uh, just a couple of weeks uh, ahead of this trip. And I had a couple of free days. So uh, it made no sense in terms of where I was traveling to, uh, in terms of taking it easy <laughs> on my body and not killing myself uh, traveling around the world for 30 hours at a time. Uh, right. But, you know, uh, I've decided to take advantage of opportunities as they come right now. And and so uh, I'm, I'm, I have a, a say yes mentality if it's someplace that I would generally like to visit. And I feel like I can find a relevant story while I'm there. That's wonderful. So you also have to be flexible, right? I mean, all of our, totally. when we travel, things happen all the time. The airlines, oh, yeah. the, you know, oh, what have yeah. been said, do you have some stories? Uh, yeah. So, uh, for example, again, uh, Scotland to Tahiti, which probably doesn't sound like an easy travel day to begin with. I was scheduled. I had to take a, a, a ferry from Isla to mainland Scotland and then a bus ride 
from the coast to Edinburgh, and then a flight from there to Paris, uh, Paris CDG to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Tahiti. Uh, so it was about, you know, uh, 40 hours, including the wow. bus ride and ferry and everything door to door. But then my first flight was late for two hours. I missed my flight in, uh, in Paris. Uh-huh. Um, I ran through the airport, got to the gate uh, just as they closed the doors. The plane was still there, but still missed the flight. And then I had to catch a later flight from uh, Paris to Los Angeles, but then also had to run through the LAX airport to make my flight to Tahiti. And there's only one of those a day. So if I missed that, it would have been a 24 hour delay. Uh, But I ran through the airport and got on that flight and uh, made it out here in time. But that was certainly not the ideal way I would uh, like to uh, right. spend my time in the airport or uh, traveling around. But yeah, you have to be flexible. And you know, if I had missed that flight, it would have been uh, unfortunate to lose a day out here. But you know, I would have uh, would have tried to make the most of it. Yeah, you can either get upset and and be angry or <laughs> crabby yeah, mood, or you can make the absolutely, best of it. absolutely. Yeah. So when did you start Man Talk Food, and how's it going? Sure. Yeah. You know, Man Talk Food, uh, you know, kind of became my personal online presence. Uh, I want to say, I think back in 2014. Uh, okay. So it's been a while now. Uh, yeah. But uh, what originally spurred that on was the closure of what was known as the Yahoo Contributor Network back in the day. Right. Um, so that was the platform I was using. I was writing for Yahoo News, Yahoo Sports, uh, and some of the Yahoo local channels as well. And as a freelancer, that was one of my main um outlets at the time. And not only were they closing it, but they were taking everything offline. Uh, so all this, you know, hundreds of stories I had written for them, they were just going to delete. Uh, so I was like, wow. okay, I, I need my own presence, one, to back publish all these existing stories. But then two, I decided to use it as a way uh, originally to do a lot of local coverage. I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And so I was doing a lot of, you know, local food, local restaurants, bars, that kind of thing. Uh, so I kind of sprung into action, built the website and, and launched the social channels, things like that. And, uh, you know, I'd love to have more time to continue to, to build up my personal presence on it. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of the last project, unfortunately, it always falls to the waste, uh, the wayside behind, yeah. you know, the latest assignments, paid projects, things like right, that. Right, you don't get paid for it. <laughs> exactly. Not a, not upfront anyway. And so, you know, I'd yeah. love to build up an audience, uh, in, you know, uh, that was large enough that I could earn revenue of a substantial degree, uh, from that. Uh, but it's not quite there yet. And, uh, thankfully I'm busy enough, uh, with everything else that, you know, that's a, that's a good problem to have, but yeah. uh, I certainly would like to spend more time kind of investing in myself to build that presence up. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned DC area. Are you from that area? I'm from New Jersey originally. Oh, okay. And then, uh, yeah, I went to high school in, uh, the Maryland suburbs of Washington, DC and, okay. uh, went to college at NYU, then came back to the DC area and then, and then spent, uh, uh, quite a number of years, uh, living in Montgomery County. Yeah, I went to the University of Maryland College Park. So there Maryland you go. is a special okay. place in my heart. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> and worked nice. on the Eastern Shore and TV there. Uh, so. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. You know, before we go, we definitely have to talk a little bit more about the spirits and the fact okay. that you visited over 130 distilleries across yes. 30 countries and yes. six continents. Yeah. What have you learned? <laughs> uh, I've learned that alcohol is everywhere. Everybody <laughs> makes their, their own alcohol and that there's always a cultural tradition of, uh, you know, that production. And one of the things I always learn when I go to any country is how to say cheers 
uh, in that language. Uh, so here in Tahiti, in Tahitian, it would be Manuya. Uh, so I think that was the first word I learned while I was out here. Um, but more to the point, you know, there's always a story to be found, even in places you don't expect. Uh, there's always something to explore. And, uh, you know, a lot of those distilleries were planned trips uh, in certain destinations and other ones you find by happenstance when you just happen to be someplace around the world. And uh, those often end up being the most memorable ones. Yeah. Which ones have stuck out specifically? Uh, yeah. So on, on the latter front, in terms of, you know, kind of happenstance, um, I happened to be in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, hopping off to a safari trip that I was taking oh. and uh, spent some time in Nairobi, was at uh, one of the trendy cocktail bars in town and happened to be introduced to somebody who introduced me to somebody who was just there that evening, who was the owner of uh, a company called Procera Gin. And they're the first distillery in Kenya and uh, just happened to meet this guy and come across them. And uh, he was like, what are you doing tomorrow? Do you want to come by the distillery? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Um, so that's, you know, kind of how you find some of these unique stories along the way. But, you know, visiting uh, Japan and getting to go to Suntory Whiskey's uh, two single malt distilleries, uh, Yamazaki and Hakushu, uh, those are both like Mecca for any whiskey drinker. And they're so beautiful. They're gorgeous destinations, uh, really special places to visit. Uh, and then the first time I went to Kentucky bourbon country as well, yes. uh, that was totally, you know, like a come home <laughs> moment for me personally. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, I took a trip and visited Jim Beam and Maker's Mark and Wild Turkey and a, a few other spots along the way. And yeah. that was totally just a, a very special moment, uh, you know, personally and professionally as well. Yeah, we're, I live in Indianapolis and we were down and we lived in Southern Indiana for a year and a half. So we were right there okay. with great. it all. <laughs> that, Love was, it. that was a lot of fun. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's a great part of the world and everyone's so hospitable down there. And, and obviously the whiskey is good. The drinking's good down there. It is. It is. So how can <laughs> listeners connect with you online and can they follow along with your travels? Absolutely. It's at Man Talk Food on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, yeah, please do follow along. Thank you so much. We will be. Thank you very much. I appreciate the chat. That's all for this episode of Media and Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time. <laughs>